Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast, brought to you by Fun Calibre. I'm Chris Sarley, and joining me today is Alex Wright, manager of the elite-rated Fidelity Special Values Investment Trust. Thank you very much for joining us today, Alex. Thank you. Um, could you start by telling me how you got into fund management and also what attracted you to value as opposed to being a growth investor? So I'm very much a Fidelity lifer. I joined here in 2001 on the, the graduate recruitment scheme. Um, I guess it's a bit of a geeky story in that I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a fund manager. And uh, So when I was a kid, uh, I actually badgered my parents to buy me some foreign and colonial investment trust when I was about 12. Uh, I did A-level economics, I did economics at university, and this is what I've always wanted to do. Um, Particularly, I guess, you see investors uh, personally will do this as a hobby, so pick out interesting stocks that they want to own. Actually, my, my grandfather did that quite a bit. And to do it as a job is a real privilege. It's a really interesting job. You get to meet amazing people, incredibly different companies, and so it's, it's, it's a really good industry to be in. I guess in terms of why value over growth, um, that very much just came through through my career as an analyst, which I was until 2007, so my, my first six years here at Fidelity. Looking at stocks, I was asked to, to rate all different types of company, and I just looked back at where was I more successful at getting ideas right, um, and I was very much just attracted to yeah, cheap companies that were misunderstood. And so as we went through the, the investment um, manager training in terms of becoming a fund manager, that's where I chose to, to focus on the, the value side of things. Uh, value investing has obviously been largely out of favour for the past decade. Could you maybe talk to us about why investors should keep faith in value as an investment style and whether they maybe just have to accept they have to be more patient when it comes to value investing? Yeah, you're right. It's been a very tough year, uh, 10 years for, for value. So coming up for my, my entire period that I've been managing money, actually value as, as underperformed compared to, to growth um, with a few sort of brief interludes of, of outperformance. But overall, it's been tricky. But I think what's important is these overriding styles obviously are a head or a tailwind to managers but also stock selection is really important so i think stock selection certainly at fidelity a fundamental house that has a lot of analysts that does deep dive into stocks be you a growth or a value manager the key driver of your performance is that stock selection and so I have been able to outperform during this period, even though the value style as a whole has been a, a drag. Um, and there is every potential that it, it could turn around and the, the value would be a, a tailwind. So that would hopefully just enhance the, the stock-specific outperformance that we've been able to, to generate. Um, it's very difficult to call if and when that might happen. But generally, when you see a trend go on for a long time, when you see a snapback, it can actually be quite powerful and, and quite large. Um, and so I think investors should have a diversification between both growth and value styles, whereas I very much sense because markets that are very growthy, particularly the US market, have done well, investors are increasingly crowded into growth stocks today. And I think that is a bit dangerous from a diversification point of view after a decade of Outperformance, and um, how would you you look at Brexit at the moment? Would you see it as an opportunity or a, a challenge for value investors, or, or is it too early even to, to sort of decipher that? Yeah, so I think Brexit actually is an opportunity because of what it's meant for today's valuations in the UK stock market. So I'm not going to say that sort of Brexit has been a positive for the UK economy because clearly over the last three years it, it hasn't. The UK economy has underperformed compared to what it would have done if we, we hadn't um, voted in the way we did. 
Um, but actually, people's fears about Brexit has meant that the UK stock market has been very highly discounted. And that's both companies that make their money from the UK itself, but they're not a huge percentage of the index, actually only 28% of the index there. 72% of the index is internationally diversified companies that happen to be listed here. And those companies are also cheap. So I think today you've got an overall very cheap stock market playing not just UK companies, but global companies. And therefore, whatever happens with Brexit, it's a very good starting valuation point. Clearly, different companies will do well depending on different outcomes and how well the UK economy does, but overall, I think there's a very good risk reward in UK equities today. Yeah. You recently mentioned you were seeing lots of value in defensive stocks. Could you explain to the listeners what makes a good defensive stock and, and maybe give us a couple of examples in your portfolio? Yeah, so classically, defensive stocks mean companies that aren't linked to the economic cycle, so their earnings are acyclical or counter-cyclical. Um, and therefore, if the economy does badly, these stocks um, shouldn't underperform. And so something like a John Lang in the portfolio today, that's about a 3% position. That is a collection of infrastructure assets with um, government-linked cash flows. And so in a downturn, the, the returns of that business shouldn't change. Um, so if the economy does badly, John Lang will probably outperform other stocks. Um, Megit would be another good example, very long-dated cash flows. So even though they service a cyclical sector, the airline sector, the volume of airlines doesn't change very much through a cycle. So again, that long-dated revenues would tend to be more defensive. Um, and in addition, I wouldn't just buy defensive companies just because uh, um, I wanted an economic hedge. I'd only buy them if there was a stock-specific issue as well, which I think there is with both John Lang and Mega. There's positive change happening there. So yes, more defences are in the portfolio, but that's because there's more of these positive change candidates that happen to be in defensive businesses. As a contrarian, you prefer to invest in stocks that are sort of deeply out of favour with, with other investors. Uh, two good examples of this in the portfolio recently have been Pearson and Ultra Electronics. Could you explain why you like them? Yeah, so, so I actually, as a contrarian, look for stocks that other people don't like um, because I think the risk-reward on those is, is much better because actually... If it turns out that the overwhelming consensus is correct, you don't necessarily lose much money in those um, investments if the current negative picture continues. Whereas if things change positively, there's a lot of people um, that then end up buying into the stock, particularly so in companies that like Sapir's and on Ultra, where there's a lot of short interest. And what that means is there are people at hedge funds who are actually actively betting these stocks are going to fall and they've borrowed stock to do so. If they change their mind, they need to rebuy buy that stock effectively, get rid of that borrowing. So it's a big in, big increase in the number of people that are needing to buy that stock and you often see quick performance when that occurs. And I think both these stocks have played out quite differently. So we've owned both of them for two to three years. Um, Ultra uh, has very much delivered what I thought. So they, they really put to bed the questions around cash flow and they started to see positive organic growth margins have, have held up and the short interest has dramatically reduced the stock significantly outperformed. Um, in the case of Pearson, um, so far, uh, 
the, the earnings have disappointed, particularly recently, but actually, because people already thought the picture was negative, the stock is basically just where I purchased it. So yes, some of the gains that we had, we've given up, but actually, we haven't lost any absolute money here, so it's only an opportunity cost, and I still think there's the potential for positive change over time. So we're, we're sticking with Pearson, uh, and Ultra's also still in the portfolio. Obviously, banks are the classic example of a sector that's been out of favour in the past decade. Um, could you maybe give me your views on the sector and also touch a bit on financials as well, for example, life insurers, insurers? Yeah, so financials is a sector that I've been attracted to consistently, actually, over the last decade. And it's actually been a sector we've seen some of our best performance come from, particularly in some of the non-bank financials. So some spectacular results on some of the companies we owned in the past, like an ICAP, a Paragon, uh, where we've seen sort of many multiples of our money made. Um, banks has also been a cheap sector um, over this period, but um, with the exception of our large Citigroup holding, that generally hasn't been a sector where we've made money. And I think the key issue here is very low levels of interest rates make it difficult for banks to make money. And so even in the last 12 months, we've seen a further fall in bond yields, which means that the net interest margins of the, the banks have been compressed. So while the banks are still very cheap, it, the fundamentals are challenged. One area where I think you also see cheap stocks, but with better fundamentals, is the life insurers. And so we own all of Phoenix, Aviva, and Legal in general in the, the fund. And I think you get both good dividend yields here, above 6% yield, but also growth in those dividends and improvement in returns, which you're not seeing at banks. So banks do have cheap valuations, do have good dividend yields, but they're not growing their earnings today. Thank you very much for your time, Alex. Thank you. I'm Chris Sarley, and if you'd like more information on the Investing on the Go podcast, please subscribe to Fund Calibre. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.